Are you tired of being told what to think and how to act? Well, you are not alone. In case you haven't realized it, you have an internal GPS. It knows all you need to know about how to live your life. So it's about time you stopped letting the media and the government tell you what is true for you. In fact, it is exactly that time. It's time to think for yourself. And here to make sure you're doing just that is your host, mediator, author, and lawyer, Carol Gold. Hi, it's Wednesday, October 26th. I'm Carol Gold, and welcome to Think for Yourself. No notes for this podcast, no planned agenda. I want to talk to you both from the top of my head and also from my heart. There are several things that are on my mind, and I'm not sure how they connect. Hopefully, I can make some sense of them over the next 18 or 20 minutes. The first is about thinking for myself based on a debate that I watched last night. I know that I have listeners around the world, and so let me give a little context. Last night, there was a debate in the state of Pennsylvania for the Democratic and Republican candidates who are running for one of 100 U.S. Senate seats, the United States Senate. There are only 100 seats available. Every state gets two senators. And so basically, in a nation of 330 million people, 100 people will get to serve. Two will be from each state. In Pennsylvania, the candidates are Dr. Oz, Mesmet Oz, and John Fetterman. The debate last night was unique. It was unique because Mr. Fetterman had had a stroke several months back, and he was left both cognitively and speech impaired. Now, there's debate, not to use the word wrongly, but there is, in fact, debate about whether he's cognitively impaired or just impaired in the sense that his hearing and his response time has been affected by the stroke and will come back eventually. I think if anyone watched the debate last night, there could be no question that John Fetterman is severely impaired cognitively, auditorily, and verbally by the stroke that he had. And I would think that any decent person would have dropped out of the race after the stroke with the symptoms and the after effect that he still has but not John Fetterman. He decided to go forward. And so during the debate last night, many people say that it was hard to watch. It was sad to watch. It was difficult to watch. I don't think it was any of those. I don't have any compassion for John Fetterman during the debate. I say that because I have great compassion for the fact that the man had a stroke. No one should have a stroke. I would want no one to have a stroke. But the reason that I had no compassion for the absolutely absurd performance, his inability to correctly, I would say, interpret the questions, which, which, by the way, were closed caption projected onto a monitor for him because auditorily he can't follow conversation. So he was reading the questions as they were, and the answers by Dr. Oz, as they were being said by both the moderators and Dr. Oz. He was reading that in real time, and then he was responding to it. 
I have compassion for the fact that the man had a stroke. I have no compassion for the fact that his ego and his arrogance is and, and his lack of care for the people of Pennsylvania is so evident and so entrenched in his own lust for power that he put himself on that stage when he could neither properly understand, respond to, articulate, comprehend, all these words apply to what he was being asked to do. So for the people who say it was so sad and it was hard to watch and it's talking negatively and being ableist by, in essence, condemning someone, and I'm not condemning them, but that's some of the language I'm hearing today, condemning someone because they had a stroke. No, no. It's simply being rational and reasonable and understanding what the job description is. When you go to Washington, D.C., and you are in the United States Senate, it is a debating political body. The essence of the Senate is debate. Senators debate one another. They get up and they voice their opinions strenuously, and they have passion for the positions that they take. They're articulate, usually, some more than others, in their delivery, but it is nonetheless a debating political body. John Fetterman does not have the skill. He does not have the, have the capability. He is not qualified for the job description. So the fact that he is still a candidate on the ballot for the November 8th election is a testament to his own lust for power, in my opinion, and his wife's lust for power, because she is actively behind him in this. And the irony of it all is that President Biden, who himself is cognitively impaired, within the last 10 days in meeting with John Fetterman and his wife, said to her, she's going to make a great senator. Now, I don't know whether that's another cognitive impairment of our president, another exhibit or example of his own cognitive impairment, or whether he knows something we don't, which is John Fetterman can't possibly serve in that position. And if he doesn't, guess who will? His wife. His wife who's not running for office, who's not on the ballot, who the people of Pennsylvania do not get to vote for. I'm talking about this because it defies reason and logic. And it is such an example of the politicization of what has happened to this country that its party and its ideology before common sense and the best interest of the population, the best interest of the citizens. Because common sense, anyone who would have watched that video, and I'm sure that if you didn't see it and you think I'm in any way exaggerating how incapable and unqualified and incomprehensible this man's behavior and, and his performance was, watch it on YouTube the Fetterman-Oz debate, the Pennsylvania Senate race from yesterday. I'm sure that you can find it on YouTube. We've reached a stunning moment in this country, a moment when truly politics and party transcends and supersedes the concerns of the citizenry and what is in the best interest of the United States. And I think there are very few people right now, as we are heading into the November 8th election, who don't feel what a tipping point we're at. 
The reason that I say I don't think there are many people who don't sense the moment that we're at, the moment in history that we're at, the moment of, in essence, survival of America as we know it, or that as we've known it that we're at, is because I often talk on this podcast about my two sets of friends, my metaphysical spiritual friends and my rational lawyer-like legal friends, and how I always walk that line and have in my life between those two perspectives of my own, because I am both of those, and then those two groups of friends who don't often have a lot in common, and how bringing that together has always been a challenge. Well, in the last couple of weeks, I've heard from friends from both of those groups. My spiritual friends are talking about a spiritual war that is coming to a head. And my logical, rational, lawyer-like friends are talking about a constitutional crisis unlike anything we've ever experienced in the history of the United States. Because both groups of people sense where we're at. There's a lot of talk on the left about this election is all about the democracy, saving the democracy. It's not about anything else. In fact, I heard Hillary Clinton say these very words yesterday, that we are at a crisis point and the election is all about saving the democracy or losing it. And she actually went on to say that right-wing extremists have already planned how to steal the 2024 election. I think it's a bit of lunacy for her to talk that way. If anyone feels an election was stolen, it was the 2020 election. It was the Biden-Trump election. The right, the 73 million who voted for Donald Trump, have felt that ever since the election. Not that it's the first election where people ever complained about it being stolen. Democrats complained that Bush stole the election from Al Gore. They claimed, Stacey Abrams claimed that Governor Kemp stole the election from her. Democrats have never failed to say that an election was stolen. So accusing the Republicans of planning to steal the 2024 election is almost comedic except it's not because it's inflammatory language and it's inflammatory language that isn't predicated not only in fact, but it isn't even predicated by definition because when Hillary Clinton says we're on the verge of losing the democracy, we don't live in a democracy. This is a grave misunderstanding by an awful lot of people who particularly on the left talk about the democracy A democracy is mob rule. A democracy is the majority rules. And then once the majority rules 51%, then they get everything they want. We live in a constitutional republic for the very reason that the framers wanted to implement and did checks and balances against what happens in a democracy, against mob rule. And that's the brilliance of the Constitution. And that's the brilliance of separation of powers. And that's the brilliance of a Supreme Court. And that's the brilliance of the Electoral College. And all of those things are not only misunderstood, they're not even understood by almost everyone under the age of 40, maybe even 50, because our schools stopped teaching what these things mean by definition, by intention, 
by what was intended to be established in the new world when the founders came here. And it's this lack of understanding, this ignorance, this deliberate manipulation of what a constitutional republic is and how it is supposed to function that has brought us to this crisis moment. But it's not a moment of crisis because we may lose the democracy. It's a moment of crisis because we may lose the constitutional republic. And that in and of itself is the first experiment in human history of true liberty for a population friend of mine who is on that logical, rational lawyer self, only she's a physician, sent me a video yesterday. And it's a video of an interview done at UT, University of Texas here in Austin. And it was of college students and how they were going to vote in the upcoming election. For the most part, they were voting for Beto O'Rourke, who is running against currently Governor Abbott in the state of Texas. Governor Abbott is the Republican, and Beto O'Rourke is a Democrat who ran against Ted Cruz for the Senate previously and lost, who then had a losing effort to even become anything resembling a, a viable Democratic candidate for president, and now he's out running again against Governor Abbott. Almost all of those college students were going to vote for Beto O'Rourke. They didn't know why when asked. They knew nothing about him or his policies. Some of them said they were doing it simply because he was a Democrat. Some said they were doing it because their family or friends are voting for him. But mostly, they were just ignorant of why they were voting for him. And my friend sent me the interview, and she said, you're going to want to pull your hair out, watch this. And I did. And I responded to her this way. When I was in college and when I was in my 20s, I was, I would say, a screaming liberal. Because I think that when you're young, you see the world idealistically, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, dreaming, visualizing, and imagining, and looking for the best in people, and thinking that we all need to help one another is a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. But as you get older, and you're out in the world, and you work in the world, and you try to earn a living and raise a family and understand taxes and interest and how finances work and how economies function and how governments function, you come to realize that those things have to happen human to human, charity to charity, heart to heart. They cannot be done by government. Government just isn't capable of doing all of those things and becoming a social service agency in the process and growing and growing and growing until it is the behemoth that we have now, filled with all of the corruption and lifetime bureaucrats and political ideologies that are birthed in a behemoth like the government that we have now, the federal government that we have. It's a good thing when you're young to think those things are admirable. But when, as I said, you get out into the real world, things change. Or they should change if you're awake, conscious, and actually trying to be the best you can be and make the best contributions you can make, not only to your own family and those close to you, but to the culture and the society in which you live. So I was not nearly as upset by my friend sending me the video and her comment that I'd want to pull my hair out. And I wrote her back and told her, I kind of understand where those young people are. And Winston Churchill said it better than I ever could. 
He said, if you're 20 years old and you're not a liberal, you don't have a heart. And if you're 40 years old and you're not a conservative, you don't have a brain. That's how I feel about most of the people who are A, supporting people like John Fetterman, who are watching Joe Biden every day in his dementia and continue to support him and would actually vote for him again when he's even older and less functioning than he is now. I feel like there are a whole lot of people who've lost their brain or they've lost the ability to access their own ability to, yes, think for themselves. It is a dangerous place for us to be. Because while we need to have compassion and we need to be coming from our hearts and we need to be spiritual and loving, we also need to be thinking and rational. We were given these brains for a reason. We were given the ability to reason. We were given the ability to know right from wrong, to know good from evil. And while we don't always make the right choice, We also have free will and the ability to correct ourselves, to forgive ourselves for making choices that perhaps we made in some way out of ignorance or having not done the hard work and educated ourselves and informed ourselves. But to continue to look at people like John Fetterman or Joe Biden or even Kathy Hochul, governor of New York, To continue to look at these people and listen to them in debate, listen to them either lie or be less than cognizant, be not qualified for the job on their, on the face of it, not qualified for the job they hold or the job they seek to have, then I don't, A, feel sorry for those people. The people I feel sorry for are the people who can't either see what's happening or who lack the courage to stand up and say, this is wrong. These people aren't qualified. It's not good enough that they're just a Democrat or they're just a Republican. That's not good enough anymore. The Republic is at stake. Freedom is at stake. And when the Republic and freedom go, your free will won't mean a whole lot because you'll be living under tyranny. And under tyranny, the citizen has no rights and no recourse. Let's not go there. Let's realize the tipping point and let's make sure that that seesaw on November 8th goes in the right direction. I don't think the Republicans are necessarily the see-all and be-all and end-all of how we get out of the trajectory that we're headed in. But I do know that the Democrats are a certainty for the end of the Republic, for the end of liberty, freedom, for the end of everything that this country was founded upon and until recently has stood for. So I'm willing to gamble on the Republicans because there we still have a shot. The Democrats, if they are not brought into check on November 8th, are the death knell of the Constitutional Republic that we still have the opportunity to resurrect. Thanks for listening. I'm Carol Gold. I'll be back here again. And until I am, by all means, Time think with her. for yourself. It is her mission to empower you to remember how smart and capable you are. Be sure to check out Carol's website, carolgold.com. That's Carol with an E, gold.com. 
please leave a review and subscribe here so you'll be alerted to Carol's next podcast. Until then, above all else, remember, it's time to think for yourself.